Let us read together. The words of Jesus, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But if someone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asked of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Think of that. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain both on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brethren, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Verse 48, a very challenging verse. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And, Father, we know that reading of your word is not enough on its own. It's application to our life. And, Father, I do pray this morning, God, where there's deep hurt, where there's wounds this morning, Father, where there's that unforgiveness that we just can't get rid of this morning, God, that you would release your people this morning in Jesus' name. That, Father, that we would be a people who who displays the very nature of God to both our brethren and to the world around us. For, Lord, did we not offend you? Did we not transgress against you, God, but yet you forgive us? Lord, do you not forgive us every day, Father, when we go our own way? And, Father, I pray that that spirit, that spirit of God that empowers the church to to, to, to reflect the glory of God and the nature of God, that, Lord, it would fall afresh upon each of our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Father, it's vital in these days that, Lord, we are reflecting the glory of God, that the nature of God is seen in us and through us, and that, Father, we're not caught off guard, that, Lord, we're not being a wrong or preaching a wrong gospel through our life, but, Lord, that through us, that, Lord God, mercy and grace and love would flow not because we in and of ourselves are able to do this, but because of the living spirit within us and a close fellowship with God. So, Father, I pray for help this morning to deliver this word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. A definition of forgiveness always helps us when we're dealing with the topic. Uh, with a topic. And forgiveness is this defined, a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance against a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness or not. That's the challenging bit, isn't it? It's maybe easier to forgive somebody if they asked for your forgiveness, if they apologize. But what if, and what about the man or the woman who so arrogantly says, I don't care about you or your feelings. And yet we are called to forgive them people. Challenging, of course it's challenging. Following the Lord Jesus isn't as easy as people make out. Christian, I want to say this as we start off. There may be people in your life that don't deserve your forgiveness. Can I say that again? There may be people in your life who do not deserve your forgiveness. And that must be said this morning. But today, with the help of God, 
and with the aid of the Holy Spirit in you, you must forgive them. We must forgive, church, and free yourself from that prison of unforgiveness that you find yourself in. What I have noticed in a personal walk with God is this, that obedience to Scripture brings both blessing, it brings joy, it brings freedom into this life. Now, not, not the stick in the sky when we die type of thinking, but now that, that we actually can experience freedom and joy in this life when we walk in obedience to the Word of God. Why should we forgive others according to Scripture? Because according to any man or woman, it doesn't just carry much weight. Why should we, at least in part, because there's so much of it? Well, well, according to Genesis 4, we need to forgive others to regain control of our lives and to stop us doing things that we will later regret. You can look that up for yourself. In Ephesians 4, what we see is we need to forgive others because we ourselves have been forgiven by God. We need to forgive in obedience to God, the Scripture says. In Matthew 6, Jesus says that if we forgive others who wronged us, God forgives us. Now listen, it gets a wee bit more heavier than this. But if we don't forgive others who wronged us, does anybody know how to finish that? He will not forgive us. That's the importance of obedience in the age in which we live in, where grace seems to be the tool to live how we want and the way that we want. But Romans 12 says this, and this is where the personal application comes. And listen, the personal responsibility that you have and that I have and every Christian has in their life, when they stand before God, here's, we're going to be judged by the Scripture, Jesus says. And the Bible says this in Romans 12, if it is possible in your part, live at peace with everyone. Is it possible for you and I to forgive somebody this morning? Well, I will allow you to answer that. Because I know the challenge it is to forgive somebody when they've wronged us deeply. But yet the Bible says, is it possible? Is it possible? It doesn't matter if the other person doesn't care. In your part, we can live at peace. And then Hebrews 12 alludes to this, that we forgive people so we won't become bitter in spirit. Unforgiveness it causes bitterness to take deep root within our hearts. And you know, once this root takes, or this, this root of bitterness takes root within us and it begins to grow, you know what it does? It defiles us. We've experienced that, haven't we, in our own life? I've experienced in my own life. It defiles me. It makes me somebody who I'm not. It makes me act in a way that I wouldn't act. And, and we need to be aware that, the, that when we talk about freedom, that's what God is saying. Listen, you have been set free from so much more, and you have been empowered to live for the glory of God, but there's a force of nature at work, and it's a sin nature, that will hinder you from doing and being what God has created you to be. A man by the name of Lewis Smead, he read a book called Forgive and Forget, and he said this about forgiveness. He says, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life, and you set a prisoner free but you discover that the real prisoner was in fact yourself. How true? Isn't that true? When we realize that the only person that's really getting wound up and bitter, it's not the person that we despise. In fact, it's you. It's me. And the Lord's saying, listen, you're better than this and you're stronger than this. And I can help you with this, but you need to forgive. That's something. Isn't it? That's something. 
And forgiveness brings freedom into our life. And Jesus says something very interesting in verse 39. Look at it in your own Bible. He says this, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What does Jesus mean when he says do not resist an evil person? It doesn't make sense to me. It's not good England, sure it's not. It's not good English. Not to be a joke, by the way, but it's not good English. Do not resist an evil person. When I look through the various translations, there's only one that really helped me with this. I will help you this morning. It's a good news translation. This is how they interpret this. What Jesus is saying, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. Now, I can understand that. Can you? Do not take revenge on somebody who wrongs you. If a person slaps you in the mouth, Jesus says, turn to the other side, let him do it to the other side. If a person insists on suing you for everything you have, and he takes the very shirt off your back, go and hand him your last coat. If an official forces you to walk one mile with them, which was common in, in the Roman rule, carry their baggage for a mile. Don't stop at the mile. Go an extra mile, is what Jesus is saying. And I know we've heard this all before, but this is going to be application to our hearts this morning like never before. I prayed over this church that we would be a church that would be challenged this morning and set free this morning. I don't know what you're getting from this, but what I see is that this forgiveness thing is not easy at all. Is that fair to say? Say amen if you agree with that. It's not easy to forgive, church. Amen or not amen? It's easy. It's not easy. It goes against everything that is ingrained within our nature. Let me give you an example. I could imagine some of you guys who like, maybe like that Mark Mulligan guy, but if a wild lot, hit me, I'll hit you back. Couldn't you picture him saying that? I've heard this said before. Sue me for my property and I'll burn it all to the ground. You ever heard that? You take it off me, I'll tell you, I'll burn it. Nobody get it. I've heard that. Go the extra mile. Well, to be honest, I never planned on going the first mile, let alone the second. Come on, now this is, this is reality, church, isn't it? This is how we think. Does anybody want to confess to that? No, of course we don't. Oh, brother, bless you. There's one, there's one. There's always one, but there's many, there's many more. And what Jesus is teaching here is that loving the unlovable, to win them for Christ, it's going to cost you. It's not easy. You're going to feel used. You're going to feel derided, mocked, weak. You're going to feel weak. There's only weak men forgive. Only weak women, women forgive. And Jesus is saying, listen, church, to love the unlovable, to win them for Christ, it will cost you. But it'll also obtain, you will obtain freedom in your own life. And then, when you think it's sort of level ground and we're starting to get right what Jesus is saying, for me anyway, it starts to get a wee bit harder. I wonder what you think. Because Jesus says this, when people ask to borrow from you, don't turn them away. Now, listen, has anyone here made a law in their heart that no longer you're going to lend your stuff? Anybody? Nobody? Farmers, come on. Come on. What about the tool shed? Men? I have got a lovely ratchet set, spanner set. It's one of them ones, there's probably a fancy name for it. You go to God and it just tight, you know? I don't even know the name of that, you don't have to take it off. It's like a ratchet wrench or something. Brilliant. I don't know how to use it, but it's brilliant. And here's the thing. I have it on my wee man shed. And there's a number 12 and there's a number 17 and they're gone. 
Ah, they're gone. Uh, I'll see you whenever I go on and go on and use the spanner. What size do I need? Yeah. But look, we're, we're getting the truth out now. The very one that we always need. It's never the 24 that nobody uses. It's always the one. And the best thing is I have not a clue who I lent it to. That's the annoying bit. And I suspect they've got two spanners sitting in the man shed and they're trying to collect the rest. But my two's gone. And that's why I've got a law that I no longer are going to lend anything except the Lord Jesus himself comes and asks me for an end of my spanners. But here's the thing, church. We can get like that with unforgiveness, can't we? We can only choose who we're going to forgive. We can only choose going to get our wrench. Who's going to get our love, our grace, our mercy? And Jesus saying, no, it's not how it works. It's tough. Isn't it tough? It's tough. And if you want an end of a 17 spanner, I'm sorry, it's gone. It's still lent out. It hasn't come back. As soon as it does, you can have it. But until then, church, what about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? And Jesus says, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, it's my own interpretation of this is, Neil, keep your heart right. Keep your heart open. Keep your heart generous, church. Keep it filled with mercy and grace, not with hatred and vengeance and strife. It's not, it's not a fair application for us today as Christians. Then Jesus goes on, verse 40, 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, them words got to me, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Am I not a son through the finished work of the cross? There's something in that saying, and I want to just back up a bit and just a wee bit dig, dig here for a minute. And in the Old Testament, we see that Israel taught to love their neighbor and to hate their enemy. Now, that's not altogether true. We haven't time to go into that this morning. God, the same God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. Very gracious, very merciful. But for the sake of time, you just need to know that much. But it did teach this sort of thinking. But Jesus turned this on his head because God had taken man's law for justice and made it a wee bit worse, as they always do in the Old Testament. And he says to his church, listen, church, you don't no longer live like that because you're no longer children of Satan. Through the cross, you're children of God. So you don't live like that anymore. Let me read you the wee, wee snippet of Le Leviticus. You don't need to turn to it for the second time. If you're taking notes, it's Leviticus 24, 17. It's, a, it's, a, it's where we get the eye for an eye. And just for context, this is a few months after Israel has been brought out of Egypt. So God, they've no law at this point. They don't know what's right, what's wrong. They don't know what to do, what not to do. Everything's, everything's a go. So God starts to establish a law. So it's all to do with righteousness. It's all to do with justice, yeah? And he says this. And if a man takes the life of anyone else, he must surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution. You must replace it. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he's done must be done to him. Now, this is terrible. Fracture for a fracture. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as, injured, just as he injured the other person, so the same must be done to him. Then, just to top it all off, Moses says this. Then Moses spoke to the Israelites and he said to the blasphemer, or they took the blasphemer outside the camp and they stoned him. Now, not much mercy, not much grace there. But in that context, this was law, you see? This is not how we deal with our fellow men. This is to do with, with, with righteousness. It's to do with setting up a kingdom, a state. The laws of our land come from the Bible. This is law being established. It's all about righteousness and justification. This is what we're talking about if you, if you do wrong. But here's the bigger teaching of it. 
What God was teaching Israel here, and indeed the whole world, is this, that sin must be and will be punished. Remember that when we, we do all our singing about grace. The Bible is very clear. The reason why Christ went to that cross is that sin will be and must be dealt with and punished. And the Bible teaches us, as we well know, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the penalty of sin is death, not death, annihilation, but death, the second death, the eternal lake of fire that it spoke about in Revelation is called the second death. The Scriptures tell us, we often see it in the lamppost, the soul that sinneth will surely die. But in Christ, there's a new statement, there's a gospel of good news, that in Christ the soul that sinned shall live. Isn't that right? Shall live. And through repentance, a sinner can find mercy, receive forgiveness from his and her sins. And what I see is this, that in the spiritual world, unforgiveness brings death and destruction. But likewise, forgiveness through Christ brings life and eternal, to the eternal soul of man. So the Old Testament was eye for eye, no mercy. The New Testament is mercy. We sing it, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He took our sins, didn't he? The punishment of our sin upon himself so we can go free. I want you to notice what he did there. He forgave. He forgave you your sin. And what I see is, and it's still open to us, that from heaven to earth there's an outstretched arm of forgiveness. You've wronged me, God says, but I've made a way that you can be forgiven. It's there, it's open, it's available. But listen, believer, and this is where I've often heard this mocked, but let it not be said of us, but this is, a, this is a truth. The church is made up of forgiven people who must forgive people. You ever heard the church is the, the most forgiven people, but yet the most unforgiven people? I think many of us could testify to that. But let it not be said about us here this morning that we are such a people. What about the Lord's Prayer? Does everybody like the Lord's Prayer? Does anybody want to recite the first uh, part of it for me? Any volunteers? All right, I'll do it then, I suppose. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as earth and it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Unforgiveness not only imprisons us, but it robs us of friendships, church. See, forgiveness creates relationships. How many families today are at war and they just can't forgive each other? Sadly, too many that I know. A complete and utter war. I know families that haven't even went to their mother's funeral. Such was the deep root of bitterness within their hearts. And I don't know anybody's situation in this church this morning. If that is a, a, a sore point for you, I honestly don't know. But maybe there's one is who does. Bitterness is so much stronger than we ever occur to realize. And it creates division. But forgiveness creates relationship. It unites and it restores and opens the floodgates of grace in our heart. Ephesians 1 says this, We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to His riches, which He has lavished upon us. Speaking of His grace. But why did Christ do this? Well, it tells us in the next verse, to unite all things in Him to unite. See, forgiveness brings unity. It unites us with people. And Christ forgave that we could have a relationship with God and with one another. And you know, it costs Christ to forgive you, and it will cost you to forgive others and me. 
It requires effort, conscious decision on our, th- on our behalf. But the result is wonderful. It's peace and it's unity for the soul. I want to just press on as we close in these remaining minutes with this one thought in Colossians 3. And listen to what it says. This is the words of the Lord. As the Lord has forgiven you, sorry, Paul, about the Lord. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's not optional. So as we consider our topic of forgiveness, consider them words as of the Bible to your, to your heart, church. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive others. I've got a couple of these small points today, and they are small and they're fast. The first point is this. If anybody's taking notes, don't get even, get free. If you haven't got a notepad, write it in your heart. Don't get even, get free. Now, the topic of hand here, if we're going to teach on it in the Bible study, is simply this. It's a topic of retaliation. That's what that's dealing with here. We're going broader than that. And when a person is wronged, their fleshly nature, everything within us seeks retaliation. I want to pay that person back twofold. An eye for an eye is this desire of our, of our nature. But this man of God, the new man that we are, that now lives, we're under a new law. We're under this law of grace that has been lavished upon us from the Lord. And that means it's impossible for us to, to argue that we need to forgive because we ourselves have been forgiven for so much. Don't get even, church. Get free. One commentator said this, do not seek revenge or look for a chance to retaliate, but forgive. Go out of your way to help those who do evil against you. For such an attitude is the only way, listen, to ever reach them for Christ. Never get sidetracked. Never get sidetracked. It's always about winning people for the Lord. That means arrogant people, angry people, bitter people who despise you and despise God. It's not the true them. It's sin in them. And one touch of the Lord can turn them into worshippers. Glory to God, church. Never get sidetracked of bitterness. It's a spirit of distraction. That's all it is. Always see what God can see, the real person, the real you. Many get caught up in this trap of unforgiveness. It's safe to say many of us, if not all of us, have been there. And we've become imprisoned by hatred and bitterness. But according to the Scriptures, the way to freedom is not to get even, but to forgive. Because Jesus says, listen, turn the other cheek. Does Jesus know what he's talking about? Has he talked the talk or has he walked the walk? I'll leave that with you. And this is the, as one man described it, as the acid test of Christianity. Because we can sit here and we can say we're one thing, but this is the test. When it's dipped in and dipped out, it proves who we really are. What are we made of? And according to the Scriptures, the way to freedom is not to get even, but to turn the other cheek, to forgive. And when it comes to those who wronged you, what Jesus is saying in most simple terms that I can do for you this morning is this. Do to them more that is expected of you for them. It's costly. Do more to them for them what is asked of you. If they take your jumper, just give them your coat too. Go the extra mile for them. And what I know and what I see is that as we do this, that God will pour in the oil and he'll pour in the wine and he'll heal our hearts. And unforgiveness, that unforgiveness that eats away out of our soul will be gone. A Christian says this, a Christian is not to seek revenge. He's not to be known as one who holds a grudge. Church, don't hold a grudge. Forgive and live for the glory of God. Forgive and live. Come on, live. Because we're not living when we're, when we're held up in, in unforgiveness and, 
And I know some wrongs is rough. I know some people had serious, serious stuff done in their life, and you could be one of them. And we're not just playing this down. We're talking, and I'm being very cautious to preach from the Word and quote the Word. But there's something in this that will let you live again. Who's that for? It will let you get over what's happened to you in your past and live again for God. Don't hold a grudge. Forgive and live. So don't get even. Get free. Now, the second point, I, I kind of love it. Kill them with kindness, not hatred. It's like, it's like you get to punch them, but you don't get to punch them, but the same feeling you'd get if you did punch them. Does that make sense? You know, as if you get some sort of joy, but you haven't destroyed your character. Now, let me unpack that. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, remember the Old Testament was get even, retaliate. The New Testament is forgive and love. It goes against the grain. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. It's mad. But the real test of Christianity is loving the unlovable. And thank God, when the Lord lifted us out of the merry clay high, we were unlovable. I don't know about you, there wasn't many reaching down to lift me up with love. There's more stepped over me than down to me. That's the real test of Christianity, love the unlovable. To you and I, this is just mad. But to God, this is the expected behavior of his people. See, the scripture enlightens us to the ways of righteousness, not our hearts. The righteous, according to Scripture, don't use carnal tools in war, such as hatred, vengeance, and retaliation. We use prayer, we use godliness. And here's the bit that it's like punching them without punching them. If your enemy is hungry, give them food to eat. If he's thirsty, give them water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head, and then the Lord will reward you. Not only, church, will you get some sense of joy, but the Lord says, listen, I will reward you for it. Why does he want to reward you for forgiving somebody? Because it's going to cost you. And the Lord's no man's debtor. Amen? He's no man's debtor. And when a person wrongs us and treats us badly, Jesus tells us to kill them with kindness, not with hatred, and he will do the rest. Now, our last point, the third point, is the children of God are to reflect the Father in heaven. And this is where I want to leave it with us today. Ask yourself, as I have asked me and I'll ask myself publicly again this morning, do I reflect the nature of God in my life? I don't mean on a Sunday for an hour behind a pulpit. I mean, do I reflect the glory of God and the nature of God and how I deal with people? How I deal with people. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't get it wrong. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't have a bad day and maybe respond badly. That all, that's normal. But in how we generally treat, with, treat people. Listen to what Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And here's the thing. Jesus is saying the godly are different. They live different. They love different. They deal with conflict differently. They treat people different than the world does. And by doing so, they are a mirror image of the very nature of God who is their heavenly Father. That poses a question. What is the nature of God this morning? Can you describe it? Do you know what it is? Well, it tells us in the next verse, 45. This is the nature of God on display. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. It's not only the righteous people have a suntan this morning. 
if you're from this country and your white is get out and a wee bit of sun comes and we burn. It's not only the righteous people get to enjoy the sun and likewise enjoy the rain. God doesn't pick out differences. He doesn't hold a grudge and say, right, that's the way you want to live, that's fine, but I'm going to do this and you're going to pay the price. He loves and he shows his love because the sun rises on the evil and the good and he sends the rain both on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? Then bid to win them for the glory of God, to save them. And that's the nature of the Father. He loves sinners. He loves the unlovable. He loves the people who will come and borrow your spanner and come back that night and rob the whole shed. He loves sinners, church. He loves sinners in a bid to win them and to bring them home safely. And if you're not saved here this morning, I want to tell you that he loves you more than you know. And you've wronged him. You've robbed from him. You have mocked him. You've not given thanks to him for the good things that he's given to your life, but he loves you. And he wants to you to know that he loves you, that he can win your heart and bring you home. And church, let us not forget that grace and love either. He loves the sinners. And we too must love and forgive those who we wronged, who wronged us. And he says to his disciples in this Sermon on the Mount, which we're looking at, if you love those who love you, what reward will that be? What good is that? It's cheap Christianity. Does not even the tax collectors do that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Church, we can't just love the lovable if such exists. Does it exist? Is there such thing as a person who is just lovely all the time? It's like the lovely wee dog and you go to pet it and it bites the hand off you. There's, there's something in all of us, church, that's not that lovable. Let's not kid ourselves. Now, is there certain people that we gel with better? Absolutely. Is there certain people's houses we can go to throw the feet up? I just want to say smoke the pipe, but we don't smoke, but put the feet up, have a cup of tea, and have a bun. Of course there is. Yes, there is. But we're to love the unlovable as well. And what we learn is this. It's easy to love the lovely, but it takes a wee bit more effort to love the unlovely. You know, it's easy to respect the brethren most times. But what about those who don't respect the brethren? Do we love them? When they mock you for being a wee Jesus come by Amon or call you a header, do we give them our spanner? To love those who wronged us is costly. To forgive this morning is going to cost you. But Jesus says you will not go without reward and you will receive healing and you will begin to live again. And them shackles, see them shackles? There's people this morning that are like that. And they want to praise Jesus and they can't because they can't get their hands up. They want to put their hand out and welcome people, but they can't because they're bound. There's people that want to love and make friends with their family, but they can't because they're bound and they're pride in their heart. You see, when Jesus came down, he looked at you and I. He wasn't saying, oh, this is easy. I'll die for them lovely people. Because he knows it through you and I. He knows the depth of our hearts, the the depravity of our mind, he says, regardless, I'm going to die and forgive your sin. And what he's asking us is, listen, set yourself aside and forgive. It's going to cost you, but it's the way of the godly. It's a path that Jesus himself paved out for his church to follow. The Bible says this, when we were yet still sinners, Christ died. He didn't wait till we're all powder-coated up. I'm going to close now. I'm just going to ask the team to come. I want to just pray for a moment into this.
The secret of forgiveness is in verse 48, church, just in these remaining moments, just please stay with me as the team comes, don't be sidetracked. It says, be perfect, therefore as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if I was to leave that there, we would go out here somewhat condemned because no harm to anybody, it's a big ask for us to be as perfect as God is. So it means there's something different being taught here because we can't be perfect in the way that we might think. What it means is that we must love as he loved because he was perfect in that area. Do you see that? He loved and we must love as he loved. And that means as you've been forgiven, we must forgive. Oh, it's challenging this morning. I know for some this morning, this is heavy for you. This is maybe a stumbling block for somebody this morning. <clears throat> but look to God in this now. I don't believe he laid this word in my heart just to leave you hanging. It means it's going to be deliverance this morning. It's going to be freedom this morning. And I just want to confess public to you this morning, I'm not going to share what, um, but I want to say there was a week that's just passed that I re realized that I had a bitter bitterness in my own heart, church. <clears throat> and I'm saying this here because um, God set me free from it in his presence. And there was a, it, was, it was growing deeper than I had realized, actually. It was causing great division. Nothing to do within this church now, but Christian stuff, absolutely. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm telling you that this morning because when I was preparing this word, I had no idea where my heart was. You see? I had absolutely no idea how bitter I was becoming. And you know something? And I'll say this often, and as long as God is me here, we're going on a journey. We're going on for Jesus, church. We're going after the lost. We are, and we will we'll deal with the difficult topics, and we'll, we'll challenge ourselves in it. But there's something that can stop you and I from going on from God. And there's something that's in my heart that nearly stopped me going on with the wider movement. <clears throat> Let alone going on the local church and I thank the Lord church that he freed me from it and I repented and I can say today for the glory of God I am free from that root of bitterness now I'm telling you this because I want you to be free and experience them broken shackles because only God showed me I didn't even know it was bound I thought it was free now this could be spiritual stuff it could be family stuff it doesn't matter you know what it is and if it's not for you this morning well thank God and stay free and stay pure Keep your heart open. Keep it generous. But we must love as he loved. And what I see is that the best example of forgiveness can be seen in many ways in the scripture. But what we see that there on this cross, we see that Jesus hung and, and he died. There he forgave those who beat him and mocked him and killed him. And as we know, it didn't end there, thankfully. We don't worship a God who's in a tomb somewhere. But on the third day, in the resurrection one thing scripture clearly teaches is that there was no bitterness found in Christ's tongue when he spoke for the disciples after that was there there was no grudge found in his heart and if anybody had a reason to have a grudge it was him he was wrong greatly he forgave and therefore he displayed the nature of God to, in heaven to earth you see that he displayed to the earth the nature of God and I'm going to say this to you that's your responsibility as well. It's my responsibility as well today. Do you see that? Jesus displayed to the world who doesn't know God. You ask anybody what they think of God, he's angry, he's judgmental, he's full of hatred and, and, and retaliation. That's not the God I know. It's not the God we serve. It's not the gospel I preach. He forgive. And therefore he displayed the nature of God. Christian, it's time to let go of unforgiveness and get free in God this morning.